I'm Dr. Amalia Ganyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Women in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Welcome to the second part of our conversation with the Commonwealth Secretary-General, Patricia Scotland. She is the sixth Secretary-General of the Commonwealth of Nations. She was elected at the 2015 Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting and took office on the 1st of April 2016. She is also the first woman to hold the post. She is a barrister by profession. She was elevated to the House of Lords in 1997 and as a British Labour Party politician, she served in ministerial positions within the UK government, most notably as the Attorney General for England and Wales and Advocate General for Northern Ireland. We pick up the conversation with the Secretary General discussing how she tackled the task of eliminating domestic violence in the UK as part of reforming the criminal justice system. I was the Minister for criminal justice in the UK. And I was given the small task of reforming the criminal justice system. And the then Prime Minister, Tony Blair, said I had to, all I want to do to Patricia is to eliminate domestic violence. I said, oh, that's all. The, yeah, so what, what am I going to do in the afternoon? <laughs> so, so one of the things I had to look at is, and people kept on telling me, you know, Minister, we have no money, we have no money. And by the way, did I say we have no money? And just just in case you're not clear, we really have no money. So I said, okay, let's ask a different question. Let's ask how much money are we spending now on this issue? And I asked Sylvia Walby, Professor Walby, to do an assessment. And I said, I want you to give me the bottom line. And if, because you know, people say there's statistics the statistics and then their damned lies. Nobody ever believes statistics. So I said, I want a bulletproof figure. You go and tell me what is the irreducible minimum of how much we are spending in the UK on domestic violence. This is 2003, 2004. She came back with a figure of 23 billion pounds. 23 billion pounds. 23 billion pounds. 3.1 billion was on public sector. 2.7 billion was on loss of profitability to business and 17 billion was pain, injury, loss and suffering. So I said, okay, let's disaggregate that figure. Let's find out how much every single department of state is spending on this issue today. Let's find out how business is spending the issue. Well, look, you're running a business and you are um, employing human beings and one in three of the women you're employing will have had domestic violence at some stage. Well, guess what's happening? That person may be late for work four or five times a month. That person may be absent from work four or five times a month. That person's concentration on your job will be diminished. And guess what? The person who is normally assaulting them, pressurizing them, will be doing it whilst they're at work or because they know where to find them. So what happens? Your employee will leave. So all the investment you put in to build that employment walks out the door. So let's quantify how much it's costing you not to do it. And once I identified the economic case for addressing this, it was extraordinary. I had these conversations with businesses and they said at the end of it, but, but 
But Minister, why are you talking about the economic case? It's the moral case. Oh, and I no. thought, oh, silly me, silly me. How? And because they only understood the moral case when they understood the economics. And that's not because they were cynical. But people were thinking, look, I've got so many problems. I can't cope with this. I can't even see how I can find the money to do this. It's not that I don't want to do it, but you show me how. And so by 2010, we had reduced the cost of domestic violence in the UK by 7.1 billion, but we'd cut domestic violence by 64%. So for every one pound we spent, we save six. Now that makes good economic sense. So what we did when I came to the Secretariat is I thought, okay, what's going to happen if we can take the same methodology and let's create a pathway out of violence with and for communities and, and find a way to enable us to cut the cost we are already paying. So this is not saying to the governments, you need to spend more money. We're saying you need to spend the money you are already spending differently. And if you do that, you will save lives and you will save money. And how is that not good for everyone? And so this opportunity for the Commonwealth is we created the toolkits to say to people, this is how you do it. We know how to do this. This is a question of us now choosing. We have to choose to work together because what we discovered is governments cannot do this on their own. We need central government, local government, business, third sector, individuals. So if you go on to the program that we've created on Commonwealth Says No More, it says, every, it doesn't matter if you're a neighbour, this is what you can do. If you're a bystander, this is what you can do. If you're a young person, this is what you can do. If you're an old person, this is what you can do. If you're a business, it will take all of us working together, just as with COVID-19, the violence against women is a pandemic. If we had something else that was killing and injuring one in three women in the world or one in three men in the world, we would say it was the biggest pandemic we'd ever seen. And so it's a pandemic which has not been addressed effectively, but it can be. And I am so thrilled to see the passion, the energy that is spreading right across the Commonwealth. And Gambia is launching their Gambia Commonwealth Says No More uh, this month. I went to Gambia uh, in December. I spoke to the government and all our governments in the Commonwealth have committed to gender equality. All of our governments, we, it was there in 2018 that the leaders said they wanted to address these issues in relation to women, women's empowerment and violence against women. And we are choosing to do this. And by working together and sharing what we know, we are going to be the difference we need to make. And this is happening because every single one of us 
of choosing. And every woman listening to this program, we need you. We need your voice. We need you to say, not in my name, not in my mm. time. And we are going to be the difference. Because frankly, I can't stand this any longer. <laughs> you know, whenever we see these statistics of the World Economic Forum's update on the gender equality report, uh, talking about the fact that in 200 years time, we may see parity. It's, um, it's incredibly frustrating. But the elements yeah. that we've just spoken about now, we've got from a behavioral point of view, we've got the, the intention of governments. We've yeah. certainly got yeah. the intention of women. But more importantly, yeah. you're providing the toolkit to, for that Absolutely. enablement to take place. Yeah, because you see what people are saying is show me, you know, it's, it's not that I don't want to do it. How do I do it? And what we haven't done in the past is we haven't shared our mistakes. It's not just sharing what works. We have to say to people, now let me share with you what absolutely has not worked. It's like banging your head against a brick wall. It's not going to get to you where you need to be. So if we can pool, and that's what I found amazing, our member states, because we're in a family, um, because we are honest with each other and we're frank, they're willing to say, look, my brother, you can, my sister, you can do this if you like. It was a total nightmare. We wasted all this money and it didn't work. And sometimes when people are brave enough to share, share with you what hasn't worked, you can turn it on its head and you can see how you can make it work. Or it may not have worked for you, but it could work for someone else because the setting is different. And that sharing, that brainstorming, that working together and that willingness to say, I will give you everything I have so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. And when you invent a better wheel, so I need a thinner wheel, I need a fat, I mean, think about the different way. I need a one wheel for a bicycle, one wheel for a tractor one wheel for a motorcycle they're different wheels but guess what they're all wheels and together you can shape something to make it fit for purpose mm. and that's what's been so exciting that um, whether it's climate change whether it's good governance uh, whether it's the toolkits that we're creating for implementation of new rules and regulations whether it's the um, the constitutional things that we think we need to change, whether it's human rights, whether it's democracy, all these issues, because of our similarity, we can work together and we can share. And and the whole thing about what we have to do to create money, you know, we've got the Commonwealth Connectivity Agenda for Trade and Investment. It's a program to boost Commonwealth trade uh, to two trillion by 2030. And South Africa co-leads the cluster or working group on digital connectivity, along with the United Kingdom, to promote digital transformation across the Commonwealth. But now, the new difference between who's going to be rich and who's going to be poor, maybe that digital divide. So, you know, South Africa has benefited on so many of these programs, but they've given so much. Uh, and we know that if South Africa can lead, others can follow, but we are cross-fertilizing our ideas in a way that's just great for everybody. And it's this idea that I can give, 
but also I can receive. And it's this coming together. The the reciprocity that you've described and the the essence of the Commonwealth community. Absolutely. Hi, I'm Zonke Digana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today, we're talking to the Commonwealth Secretary General, Patricia Scotland. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Turning towards more of a personal perspective, I mean, you, you briefly mentioned yes. that you number 10 out of 12 children. I mean, yes. that's, that must be a fantastic background to have come from. I know that you were born yep. in Dominica. Yeah, absolutely. And what I'd like to ask you now is more about some of your personal journeys, some of the dynamics, the work that you've worked through and, and some of the factors of, of success for you to get to where you are today. I think um, one of the greatest gifts I was given actually was coming, being born into the family in which I was born, because um, I was lucky to have this fantastic mother who was, um, you know, mother of 12 children who enabled each and every one of us to be seen as an individual. My mother used to say every, every individual in the world is, and my mother and father both said this, is given a talent by God. And it was our job to find that talent, hone it, and use it for the benefit of other people. But, you know, one of the things that we all need as human beings is to be given this sense of value, this sense of that we're important, that we can do things. And my parents both believed there was um, no difference between what a girl could achieve and what a boy could achieve. And it would be really funny at home because um, my father would sometimes whisper to us, the girls, to say, and say to my mother, you keep your sons, your seven sons. Give me my girls. My girls could do anything your boys can do. Um, and so we grew up with this idea. But, but you know, I grew up in the east end of London um, going to a state school uh, it during a time in uh, the United Kingdom where there was rampant racism. And uh, for a child of, of my living where I lived, we, no one expected you to do anything. No one expected you to achieve anything because you were black and you were female. And the pecking order went white male, black male, white female, and then black female was at the bottom of the pile. But I also was born into a family who had a very strong sense of identity and worth and very committed Christians. My mother was a Catholic. My father was a Methodist. And that was quite a dynamic <laughs> contribution. Uh, we, we were brought up to be ecumenical, to see the value in all races and all people. But one of the most seminal moments for me was when I was about six. And I remember seeing what was happening in South Africa. And I saw children who looked just like me being stoned and being beaten. And I remember turning to my father and saying, Daddy, what is happening? How can they do this? Someone must do something. And I was six, about six years old. And my father absolutely agreed with me. And I was delighted. 
And then he said, now what are you going to do about it? Not me. There they are. I'm six. And then he said, and your point is, and I loved fruit, South African fruit. And I couldn't think about what I could do as a little child. And then I said to him, okay, daddy, I will never ever eat another piece of South African fruit until South Africa is free. Now, I didn't realize it would take so long, but, um, but I think it was that understanding that was drummed into each of us that, that we as individuals had choices and we as individuals could make a difference, however small it was. Um, and as I went through, you know, um, at the time I became a lawyer, uh, 90, what was about 97%, I think, in in uh, of the profession was uh, male at that time. And uh, there was uh, about 0.1%, of the bar were black female. And I was told that you would never, I would never succeed. I didn't go to Oxford. I didn't have any contact um, with any uh, members of the profession. And that basically me wanting to join the bar was just a consummation devoutly to be wished, but I would never, ever succeed. I was poor, I was black, and I was female. But I also grew up knowing that those are the things that being black and female was who I was and nothing I could change. But also, look, it wasn't as if being black and female would get me a better job as a cleaner. Or, you know, there was no job where it was going to be an advantage. So why don't I just do what I wanted to do? And I was told I'd never become a barrister. And I, I was always, and this came from strongly from my family, I was always um, ready to try. Uh, I was, I, I, my, my parents said the only thing to be afraid of is fear itself. Never be afraid to try, be terrified of not trying. And I was ready to try and fail, but I wasn't ready not to try. And so I think um, I got a little tired. I remember thinking, why am I always the first and the only? And my father said, well, someone has to be. And I said, yeah, but why does it have to be me? I want to be the 959th. Um, so I think it was having no choice. Um, I was told that I was too feminine to be at the bar. You know, that if in those days you were supposed to be, um, to succeed, you had to ape a man. Now, I didn't swear. I didn't drink. I didn't do any of these things that you're supposed to be to be manly. And therefore, and I was very feminine. Um, but I could only be me. So I just did me. I'm almost at a loss for words. In fact, last night I watched Hidden Figures again. And again, you just see yeah. the injustices that are happening. And it's got nothing to do with your, your attributes, your quality. It was just no. purely what no. you looked like. And it, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You're talking about the 1970s. I, I, joined, I, I was 20 uh, when I completed my degree. And in 1976, when I went to the bar, I was one of the very few uh, black uh, women in my profession. I was 21 when I became a barrister. So 
if you think about it, I looked, I, I looked at the photographs. I looked about 12. I was tall. <laughs> I was thin. I was young. I was black. I was female. I was non-Oxbridge. People were saying, do me a favor. This woman hasn't got a hope in hell. Um, but you had to try. You had to start. And I'm so proud that things have changed but what has the last year told us on the whole black knives matter issue they haven't changed that much and the rampant racism that is still endemic is something which we still have to fight every day the sexism that has kept women back still has to be fought Hi, this is Lyra, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Today, we're talking to the Commonwealth Secretary General, Patricia Scotland. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Look at what women leaders have done during COVID. If I look at the Commonwealth, look at what Mia Motley has done in Barbados. Tiny island, the first woman to be Prime Minister of Barbados. Look at what Sheikha Zina has done in Bangladesh. And look at what Jacinda Ardern has done in New Zealand. Real examplars, not of good leadership, but of brilliant leadership. Brilliant leadership delivered by women. And the fact that women are inclusive in their leadership. No woman leader cuts out men. That equality, that inclusion is an inherent part of their leadership, the fact they're caring. And that means that young women today can look at those fantastic leaders. Look at what Kamala Harris has just uh, achieved as becoming vice president. No one can say to a young girl today, you can't do it. When I was growing up, people said to me, I couldn't do it because there weren't any women doing what I want to do. That's not true today. That's not true today. And that's also thanks to you having been the first in some of the spaces that you've occupied and for other female firsts to, to come through and prove that point, that the world is yeah, boundless. But, but also to say to all of our women and girls, look, you can do this. If you think about where I came from, Dominica is an island in the Caribbean, beautiful, wonderful island with only 70,000 people. So if you have one Dominican in a room, you have a large percentage of my population. So this this woman comes from, a, and, I, and it's not as if, you know, you were rich, you were powerful. There were opportunities that my parents took advantage. Education was something which was fundamentally important. My, my father used to say that he wanted 
every single one of his children to be highly educated. Because, you know, the bit from Iago who says, he who steals my purse steals trash, but he who robs me of my um, good name profiteth him nothing and leaves me poor indeed. So you're, you're, who you were, what you stood for, was so important. And you just needed to be yourself because we each had a contribution that we can make. Nobody can be you. And nobody can be every person listening. No one can do you better than you. And so I think this idea that we can all make a difference in this world if we choose. And that's the thing that we all have to understand. This is a choice. Doing nothing is a choice. And I would rather try and fail than not try. And things can change, but they can only change if we make them change. And that's such a con that people tell people, you can't do anything. And whenever I think about that, I think of Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks, a poor seamstress in the southern states of America, because Rosa Parks says, enough, I am not traveling on this bus anymore. Everyone talks about Martin Luther King. I loved Martin Luther King. But Martin Luther King walked with Rosa Parks Rosa Parks didn't walk with him. And so a black seamstress changed the southern states of America. And so I don't want any woman to think, I can't do this. I think we need to say we can. We can't do it on our own, but we can do it together. And the experience of women, whether they're black, they're white, they're rich, they're poor, they are um, educated or, un or ill-educated, illiterate and innumerate, the experience when it comes to domestic violence is quite often the same. Domestic violence is no respecter of peoples. So when one of my sisters are suffering, even if I have never suffered from this myself, I am suffering. And what I saw, the reason I was so passionate about domestic violence is that I grew up believing men were fantastic. I thought they were kind and generous and supportive and clever because that's what I experienced with my seven brothers and my father. The first time I realized that wasn't every woman's experience, I was in shock and I've still remained in shock. I was 21 when I did my first domestic petition, domestic violence petition, and I've never forgotten it. And that's what's driven me for the last 44 years, that I'm determined that if I can do anything, I'm going to eliminate domestic violence. And I'm going to ask every good man and every good woman to help me to do it. Because oh. I'm tired of this. <laughs> Well, from the age of six, not eating South African fruit to eventually being able to eat South African fruit, I do. Absolutely, and it's delicious. I do hope that, um, really, for the sake of every woman across the globe, that you manage to stomp out domestic violence. I need some help. <laughs> 
Hi, my name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka and I'm UNICEF and Rollback Malaria Goodwill Ambassador. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in the struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy, a program against social ills such as racism, socio-economic class division and gender-based violence. Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amalia Balka every week on this day at this time. Today, we're talking to the Commonwealth Secretary General, Patricia Scotland. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Secretary General, today in this conversation, for me, what I've realized is that everybody has a contribution to make. And through that contribution, they can contribute to an agenda. So as we close the conversation today, you've shared many, many tips and pearls of wisdom. But could you share a last few words of inspiration for the younger women and um, perhaps older women on the continent that are listening to the show? I think the thing that I'd say is believe in you. You can do this. You can be the difference we need to make in this world. But you have to choose. Don't let anyone tell you you have no value. Don't let anyone undermine who you really are. Because no one can be you. I would say that God only made one of you, then he made the world. And what and broke the mold. And what you can give to be this difference, no other individual can give. So just just accept how wonderful you are and that you're unique and precious in God's sight and that if you are a member of our Commonwealth, then your Secretary General is going to be right beside you every step of the way because we together, there is nothing we cannot do. You know, I'll just end with telling you at the 2015 uh, women's meeting in Malta, it was the first women's forum ever at the Commonwealth, uh, Commonwealth has a government meeting. And one of the women said this, she said, on our own, we are invisible. But together, we are invincible. So remember that. Together, we are truly invincible. Thank you for that wonderful message. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Uh, We really appreciate you taking the time to join us. It's been a great privilege because um, I suppose this is something, uh, empowering women, being part of a movement, and being empowered by women is something that I've been privileged to experience from the gift of other women to me. And we need our sisters and we also need our brothers because good men need to walk with us. Um, And I am very, very proud that your program enables us to talk about issues which affect women's lives. And I'm incredibly proud, my inspiration actually comes from being with young women. Sometimes, you know, you just get tired and you think, why on 
am I doing this? This is so hard. And then you spend some time with some young women or women in different spheres and you see that our our experiences are the same and are burdened the same way and you come away inspired and refreshed because there are so many women doing brilliant things quietly, steadfastly and we can't stop. We can't stop because if we stop, we'll go backwards. And so I think it's such a privilege to be part of a movement of people, men and women who want the best for other people. So I'm very, very pleased to have had the privilege of speaking to you. And I want to thank you for doing this program and being a bit of a light, being the candle that keeps the flame burning for some people who may be in a dark space today. Well, it's our pleasure to be able to reach out and to use your voice and to to carry it across the airwaves into the continent.